a the show where we discuss, uh, debate, de- defang. Defang, yes. Defrock. Um, we need to start defrocking. <laughs> I think, you know, like if there was something that like we just decided, like this album, this canonical album actually kind of sucks, that could be us defrocking it. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of like Houses of the Holy. Sucks. Yep. <laughs> Defrocked. <laughs> Um, we do these things to albums for your listening pleasure. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, the deal, always, on the show, we take turns picking an album, and then we go off and uh, listen to it and dig into it and come back and uh, talk about what we learned. This time around, it was my pick. I continued my self-indulgent run of picks of yeah, albums. Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I've been kind of like walking you through, you know, the the gallery in my head. Um, this is the last self-indulgent pick, uh, the next But one. not the last one by John Mellencamp's producer, right? <laughs> oh, we'll be talking about that. <laughs> Keep that powder dry. Um, yeah, so this album, this pick was Life's Rich Pageant by R.E.M. I am extremely excited to talk about this record. Um yeah, the Tombstone info on the album, released in 1986 on IRS Records. Um, in addition to talking about the producer, I want to talk about IRS Records. Oh boy. I, I got some shit there. Um, it's recorded in Belmont Mall Studio, Belmont, Indiana, the home studio of John Mellencamp, produced by Don Gaiman, the home producer of John Mellencamp. It's hilarious to me that they went to Indiana to record this and not, you know, like... The, like yeah. When you're the Cougars producer, you don't travel. Like, they come to you. <laughs> you, you can't argue with the results, though. That's, uh... Can't argue with the results? Well, yeah. you know, we'll, 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 we'll discuss. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I mean, you could argue with some of the results. Uh, oh, well. Wow. <laughs> Is I, that a glove on the ground, basically? That's, that's, I'm just laying the groundwork now. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I... So I, you know, I always try to throw in a description at the top, but I've been doing all the talking. Do you have a quick description of the album you'd be interested in throwing out? Or? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, and I mean, I have a, I have a somewhat storied history with RB. Storied isn't the right word. I have a complicated history with REM. Okay. But um, you know, I think, and we'll probably get into that, but. You know, I think I guess I was surprised at how much of a like rock album this is. They're a fucking rock band. Well, they're not always a rock band. <laughs> You're gonna go to the map that say "Shiny Happy People" is a rock song. I, I, in in its context, yeah. "Shiny Happy People" is hilarious. Hilarious, yes. Rock song, no. I, we'll get there. Maybe we'll get there. Maybe not. Um. But. <laughs> Yeah, I. This is a. This is definitely a rock album. This is. I think this is. Until Monster, this is their rock and Monster's a pretty rock album too. So maybe maybe you can you can talk like when did you first experience REM or how did you first experience? So I, I stepped on. Somewhere I, I don't know if it was right when Green came out or. Shortly before Green came out. Um, I so I I think it was when Stand was like a hot single, um, and I was you know like 
I would have been in junior high and just started paying attention to music. And like for some reason, Stand is on Omaha Classic Rock Radio. So you know you're going from Blue Oyster Cult to Stand, and you're just like, what the fuck is this? Wow. Um, and you know, so for for a while, like Green and Document, so like the high alt rock period of REM was like my shit. And then as I started working my way back through the catalog, like Life's Rich would have been one of the early ones to go to and it just fucking fused my head um you know so like like really like when i was forming my idea of like what music what what good music is like this was like you know this was the mold that was being built around interesting Um, yeah it was and and then i i think one of the things this kind of I talked about this in the the U2 episode too you know I had this whole like stupid punk apostasy thing going through most of the 90s um, and so like, like I think that is part of why you've never you know like, like most of the time we've known each other I was kind of in like kill your darlings mode and just like yeah fuck R.E.M. They don't, and uh, you know when I came back around to them I just kind of kept quiet about it yeah I've been back I mean, on board for a while but. no I mean I think this this album and I I mean my I, I feel like REM is like this touchstone for a lot of people because it's like a bridge between you know kind of like classic rock and you know like more alternative type music yeah but um, it just never like a lot of it never hit for me um, you know like to sort of the like losing my religion man on the moon drive shiny happy people like it just just never like and and this is stupid because like for in 1994 i would have you know i would have been like i'm an i'm a hurt man you know like nine inch nails versus everybody hurts because like everybody hurts is too whiny but arguably they're both pretty whiny and a lot of alternative music is very whiny pretty whiny yeah it's a, it's a, I'm a fraud, but I, I you, know, you know, if something doesn't land with you, it doesn't land with you, and that's, that's just, that's the way it is. There was also this, like, this side issue where, like, the female contingent of our college friends, like, loved REM. Yeah. Like, like, I'm gonna hand write out the lyrics and put them on my dorm room wall, loved. Yeah. And I, for some reason, that just annoyed me. I don't yeah. know why, but I was, uh. You know, I it, it was you know I should also point out that like in this point in my life I probably would have like gone to ground that Urge Overkill was a like <laughs> seminal American rock band. So you know, there's you know, some, there's some flawed thinking. We involved. we all like develop our you know I don't know, we all get where we get and no there's nobody's wrong here. There's no judgment here. Um, and I mean like I I was on board when. When uh, losing my religion broke, um, you know, and was like, was I was really confused by that record, um, and I, I understand it now. And like, like knowing now what was going on with the band, I actually think that's it's. I think Out of Time is really cool and interesting. Um, but you know, with no context, I was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, and kind of forced myself to like it at the time. Um, but Jesus Christ, losing my religion did get just played into the ground back then and that's yeah i mean maybe it's and this is this is also inconsistent on my part because i really like the flaming lips and uh that was that was featured prominently i think in a 90210 episode yeah as was losing my religion okay um and which is another reason i hated it yeah. 
Uh, so, I mean, weirdly, I uh, I actually wrote a um, you know with with the newsletter I've got on the side. I, I, I kind of wrote a companion piece to this episode. Excellent. Um, full of my my bigger picture thoughts about REM. Um, and I actually like like I don't want to go into it too far, but my capsule theory on what's going on with Out of Time um, is that they were super burned out by that point um you know they'd like recorded six straight albums of all just like basically you know there there's an evolution but it's all basically guitar rock and then the green tour had been um you know like really just long and arduous and they were just kind of fucking tired of being a rock band and uh out of time is like you know they were they were up here they were at paisley park and they're like this just this fucking sucks we're bored with this so they all started playing other instruments just to keep themselves interested. And so, you know, except for Snipe, no one's really playing their usual instrument on Out of Time. And it's kind of a big, like, fuck you. It's not a fuck you to the record company, but it's just like, we're not going to make a normal record because we need to do something weird to keep ourselves interested. And, you know, and then, like, the fucking song with the mandolin riff blows up. And I feel like it's kind it's... of a fuck you to my ears. <laughs> 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 I, there's... There's stuff on Out of Time. Like, there's, there's, there are, I, I, I bet there are five or six songs on there that I could sell you on. I'm sure were, there are. I mean, I was prepared to, to just trash this album, and I was surprised at, you know, kind of how much of a, you know, like, I mean, how much, like, of the music I really like you hear in it like you know you yeah. hear a lot of Bob Mould and you hear a lot of you know just just really you know it's it's really it's a really a lot of the songs are are really good rock yeah. songs yeah I mean Peter Buck is just like this archetypal like spirit of rock and roll um you know I think he's kind of like a better socially adjusted Paul Westerberg who doesn't sing um, but you know, like like they were definitely peers with Boots yeah. to do and the replacements, right. and you know, like the only that's the thing, that's the difference is that with all three of those bands, they all made a bunch of records that everyone loved on indies, and then got signed to majors, and you know, Who's Could Do splatters immediately, replacements splatter pretty quickly, and REM just sells a fuckloads of records on a yeah. mandolin song, yeah. and like it's just keeps di- just different, yeah. It's- I mean, I yeah. I mean, I guess if you if you think of it in that context, like, I mean, I don't think anyone would be like, you know, the replacements wouldn't be the replacements if they hadn't recorded all shook down. Like, <laughs> yeah, there are very few people who are going to go to the, you know, yeah, like, like that's that's the album that nah, you need to listen to. Is but the thing that weirds me out, like, I think about this just with a lot of bands. Like, with every band, there have to be people who come in who are first exposed to like you know, the tail end album that everyone hates and, like, form their opinion. You know, like, there have to be people who are like, oh, are these replacements, I gotta check them out. Oh, all shook down, hey, this is pretty good. You know, there has to be, like... I'm sure, yeah, there's... There has to be one person in the world who, like, heard, like, oh, The Clash, cut the crap, let me try it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh... I I mean, I think it's just... It it is, there is a lot of... Especially in this era where you were experiencing music, there's just... There's sort of a randomness to it of, yeah. of you know, like when it hits you and 
you know, I tried again with REM after this is even stupider, but after that pavement song, yeah, uh, that uh, I think it's called uh, The Unseen Power of the Picket Fence yeah. that has that natural synergy with REM and General Sherman, yeah. That was the song that legitimized pavement for me. I wasn't sure about them until I heard that one. Um, and so, you know, and I just, it's like, I know a lot of people who I really liked, who I really respected their taste in music at the time. Um, but they never gave me this album to listen to. Like, I feel like okay. that would have been a, that would have been a way to. Yeah, this is definitely the one to. You know, change my mind on it. Um, because I, I, like, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, okay. You know, and this is me like being programmed to hate it, right? Like yeah. I'm, it, this is not like an even arbiter situation, yeah. right? Like, you know, this is me watching Ben Shapiro, right? <laughs> Maybe not quite that bad. But. <laughs> Michael Stipe just like grabbed his heart wherever he is right now. <laughs> no, that, that, that's unfair. Uh, but you know, there was some there's some bias built up, yeah. right? And and so you know, the fact that it, I I, fact, I really enjoyed it. Um, it just it does kind of bug me that I, that one of my complaints was that it was too whiny because like you know like at the time I was listening to like Smashing Pumpkins and Radiohead and like that's entirely whiny yeah. right like like that's the currency yeah but again like we're never I know, we're, we're never consistent with our tastes you know like or there there's a consistency but it's not the consistency that we think it is if that makes sense yeah, and I, I guess I was just surprised that that like, you know, like, like I think you know, and we can if you want to if you want to jump into the dinner side. I actually had a couple of other like bigger picture oh, great. things yeah. I, I kind of wanted to hit if you if, if you're up for indulging me. Um, yeah, this this is you know like yeah. So I, I should probably just apologize to Michael Stipe because there was at least a <laughs> ten year period where I wanted to like kick him in the shin. <laughs> Yeah. So, I, uh, you know, I, so I had this different thing where like I had I had them on such a pedestal and understood so little about how the music industry works and like what longevity is like in a band. I, there was a stretch in the '90s when they they like renegotiated their contract with Warner's, and um, you know, it was at the time. I, I think it was, if I remember this right, I might have it wrong. But at the time, it had eclipsed ZZ Top for like the the biggest band signing deal um, in the label history, and I was just like, you know, I had idealized REM and Snipe in particular so much that I, I was just like the stereotypical like wounded like, oh, you have betrayed me, you sold out, you're making money off of your music. And like, which is a, a completely I, untenable position, right? right? It, it's like... horseshit. It's. <laughs> I, if I think about like younger versions of myself that I do not like, like that version is is one that I'm just like, oh man. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, it's it's the starving artist is cool if, as long as you're not the one starving. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, so the, the two the two th- like bigger picture things I wanted to run by you before we get into the album. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about Don Gaiman the. <laughs> The cougar? Yeah, I mean, like, so here's the thing. Like, I had no idea about that until, you know, until very recently. But I, I kind of get it. Like, I I hated 
John Cougar then. Hate, and, hated past tense. Oh no, I hated John Cougar then. I <laughs> do not. I, I I wouldn't say I hate him now, but I certainly don't like him. Like, I've come around to like, okay, he's a guy and he's making the music he wants to make, and sure, but the fucker did like sell records, and I he, guess they sound pretty good. I mean, like, it's not, it's not as insane as um. The Jayhawks having Kiss's producer come in and do an album. That does that. That is stranger. That was, it's just with with the Cougar though. It's like every story you hear about him, like no one's like, you know, who's a really nice guy <laughs> is John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, uh, didn't he and Stephen King briefly have a band yeah, going or something? Like he's just Some kind he's, of collaboration. He's just sort of a noted asshole. He seems he radiates <laughs> asshole. Like, I. But you know, so like, like uh, uh, willing to stipulate everything negative about the Cougar, um, <laughs> came in like it, it's pretty. He seems like a pretty interesting guy, I guess. You know, like produced a bunch of hits for the Cougar, made I think REM's best album. Fucking somehow was the guy who produced Hootie and the Blowfish's breakout album. Um, yeah, I feel like that's a step backwards. I, I mean, Yes, I mean, like it's not. I'm not here gonna. I'm not gonna argue for the quality, but like, I guess, like, if the label was looking at him and like, this guy is the hit maker you need. Like, okay, he had the bona fides. Yeah, I mean, with that lens, though, he's kind of the shit maker, hit maker, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I uh, again, I'm not talking quality, but he did work pretty recently. He Neil Young brought him in to work on the Neil Young Archives project. And, uh, you know, like, if Neil Young trusts you to, like, you know, he's going to entrust his sound quality true, to you. True, true. Like, if, if anybody's going to be a, is going to be a, like, get the best sound person, yeah, it's going to be Neil Young, yeah. which is, is a different story. But I feel yeah. like, I feel like when you play with as much distortion as, <laughs> as Neil Young does, I don't I don't know that sound quality is the most important thing. Uh, I, I think on the other hand, like, when you're, doing that shit, you do kind of need someone who knows how to, like, finesse the... the yeah, I suppose you got to work the knobs to get it to sound listenable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, it just it's interesting to me that the band was skittish about working with him, but, like, kind of understood, eventually came to understand that he knew what he was doing, like, building a record, you know, actually producing a record instead of just pointing a mic and saying, play, guys. And I, that, that's fascinating to me. He's the reason that suddenly you can hear drums and can tell what Stipe is saying, even if it doesn't always make sense. Um, but the, the thing, that, the, the kicker to me with, with this is that, like, so they all supposedly liked working with each other, but he didn't want to work with them again because he didn't hear a hit. Uh, you know, he said, like, you guys aren't hit makers. Um, and pointed them instead to Scott Litt, who, like, produced, you know, everything of theirs through into deep into the 90s and like that's when they started selling shitloads of records i think so. anytime someone says they don't hear they don't hear a hit it seems like that's a like there's gonna be a hit that yeah. comes out of that. Like, yeah unless unless you're in uh, unless you're inside lewin davis right. <laughs> i mean i think it, it, it just is it, it is a very well produced rock album too yeah, because it's you definitely get at different points. You get different things popping, right? Yeah. There's a there's a song that's got uh, that's got this really cool like acoustic guitar in the background that really like really makes the it makes the song for me. Um, I was just gonna as I look to my 
notes and figure out which one it is. It's uh, Swan Swan. Great fucking song. I mean, it, it, it just has this, like, like so, you know, it's a, it's a traditional, like, stipe-type ballad, but yeah. it's got this, like, really powerful acoustic guitar in the yeah. background that really, really does a cool juxtaposition with his voice that yeah. I think is... Like that's, I mean, that's just really, like that's good producing when yeah. you're when you bring up the the guitar to to really offset the voice. Yeah, and there's examples like that just all over this where there's you know there's like layers of shit that you wouldn't have heard on an earlier record of theirs, and it's just it's it's really really nicely done. It's it's weird to me, you know. Yeah, this is the, then the mind who guided Hootie and the Blowfish. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to, uh, if you're a record producer, you got to pay the bills, too. Yeah, you know, true. like, like maybe he thought that cougar train was just going to keep chugging out hits, <laughs> but... If <laughs> we got in, you know, bought six houses and could only afford five. Right, yeah, that's... The, the other bigger picture thing I wanted to run into you before we, we went in, before we get into the, the album. So I did want to talk a little bit about IRS records, um... And there's a, there's a reason in particular. Um, like, do you know much about IRS? I do not. It is wild shit. So, uh, you know, it stands for International Record Syndicate. Um, it's founded by Miles Copeland III, who is the drummer of Stuart Copeland of the police, who were also on IRS. Uh, and their dad was Miles Copeland II, who was one of the OGs at the CIA. Really? He, yeah, he was like one of the founding, like when it converted from the OSS to the CIA, and he was, you know, I, I don't know if he got up to be a deputy director, but he was like... Like Harlot's Ghost era CIA? Yeah. Like overthrow Cuba yeah. type stuff? Yeah, in fact, I think, he's, I think he's mentioned in passing in Harlot's Ghost. Interesting. Yeah. He wrote a, uh, he wrote a bunch of books after he left the agency. Um, one of them is about um, doing spy shit in... Egypt in the middle in the Middle East and uh, in the fifties and sixties. So I, I want to ask, like, when is it that your grandfather was <laughs> totally not in the CIA? Well, not not then, unfortunately. Well, I mean, it's, it's, he he wasn't in the, he he wasn't in the CIA in uh, in the uh, late seventies and early eighties. Okay, so. No, he wouldn't know Miles Copeland. But he he did have a number of just like curious jobs of like working on air bases and you know that that happened to line up exactly with like like NSA development over the. I you know, I don't know how long Copeland stayed in the game. I, yeah, it's I, possible. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to believe that at one point your grandfather was in a room with. Miles Copeland. It's possible. I mean, my grandfather was ordered out of Ecuador by the president of Ecuador. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, and yet, your dad never started a record label. I know. That's that's a that's a failing in his part. Oh, but so IRS is like this crazy label that you know they REM and the police um, were both you know came out on on IRS and then left and then they had the Go Go's and Fine Young Cannibals. Gary Newman, the Buzzcocks. Um, what a weird, just collection of artists. Yeah, they like, and, and this was me cherry picking. Like the list of people they had signed was. Well, I mean, just giant. Gary Newman, the Buzzcocks. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, man, fine young cannibals. Like, 
Yeah. It's tough to find three more disparate acts in popular music. Totally. Another thing that I love is that there was a third Copeland brother who had a booking agency, and I don't remember what the actual, um, what the name of it was. It was like Finite Booking International or something, but so the acronym was FBI. Um, those wacky Copelands. Those, co- those Copelands. <laughs> um... <laughs> Okay, I just I had to yeah no I, I had to had to digress about IRS, um, but yeah. So to jump into the album, this was their f- Life's Rich is REM's fourth album. The previous one was really tough to make, Fables of the Reconstruction. Um, they they nearly broke up. IRS had really wanted them to move some records. God damn it, you know. It, Paul Westerberger on the same time is complaining the label wants a hit and we don't give a shit. Um, you know, this is their peers. So IRS points them to the Cougar, Cougar's producer, and, and here we go. Yeah, the dinner set. Yeah. It's funny. So it's funny to me. I always experienced this on tape. So, like, the whole, like, themed sides thing. Like, I remember seeing that on the tape label, but it never stuck. What's the other side? Then? The supper side. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. um, funny. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, I think it's probably, like, an inside joke to them, but... Their records are full of that shit. I don't think there's... Like, I I had not detected any thematic, you know, like, cohesion between the two. Like, I think they just thought that was funny. Yeah. They, you know, like, I'm here to go to bat for them as pretty cool guys and, like, you know... Harder-edged musicians than than you'd give them credit for, but they were definitely like kind of fey weirdos. Yeah, I mean, they were were theater kids. I I probably would be too, though. I mean, I I think I would throw in as many like weird references as possible. Yeah. Oh, but yeah, I I I did think that was that that is an interesting. It's I don't know. It's kind of like when we when you read that book about uh, Husker Du and they talk about how uh, the concept album, right? Uh, Zen Arcade. Zen Arcade, yep, is the concept album, and you're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) The concept is... (laughs) People are alive on Earth? Wow. You know, like, it's not like the Johnny Cash album was all about trains, right? (laughs) My God, that's how you do a concept album. This is a concept album for people that are really in the weeds with Zen Arcade. (laughs) Uh, well, so yeah, I mean, jumping jumping in on the the dinner side, um, begin to begin. Yeah. What do you think of that shit? Well, I think it's a really good opener, um, and this is one of the ones I thought. You know, like I can hear some like uh, sort of like workbook era Bob Mold. Yeah. In this, like, I feel like it's sort of it's got I don't know. It just it, it's one of those things that has this it has this cool like guitar part that's sort of underneath. Yeah. And then it has like when it breaks and there's no sound, it's got these cool like guitar transitions. Yeah. Oh, uh, it it's a I mean it's a great opener. It yeah. fucking rules. Oh, I just I this thing this is up there with Uncle Dupelo's gun for like just like the first time I heard it, I was like, what the fuck? You can do that? It just Uh-oh. reading the lyrics are fucking wild. I have been uh, one of the things I've been looking forward to here is is seeing seeing how Stipe's lyrics land with you. I mean, I I don't. So the interesting thing, and I never gave him credit for this, but his delivery is is really interesting because he he like 
you know, it's he never pronounces the same word the same twice. Yeah. And it's like some of the lyrics are just wild. Like in Begin the Begin, a philanderer's tie, a murderer's shoe. So that's. Uh, I got a lot of. It's. I love these. I love that you singled that one out because, like, we have this recurring. You know, it's a recurring thing on this show that. Um, I never look up the words, and I'm. I'm like, I'm always mishearing the words, and I'm convinced that like they're something else. And I had this theory actually that the reason I do that and you don't is that I, listening to REM when I was young trained me to not expect the words to make any sense. And so, like, like why would you look up what he's saying? It's not, you know, like, your impression is all that matters anyway. And that particular fucking phrase, I have for 30 years thought he was saying something else. And, like, just today looked up and saw that, like, the consensus. I always thought he was saying the philanderer tied the murderer's shoes, which, like, it doesn't make any sense either, but it just sounds great. It does make a little more sense, I, maybe. I don't know. I mean, like, I... Because R.E.M. doesn't publish their lyrics, right? Usually not. There's, yeah. I think on Green they do, but most albums... Yeah, most albums, it's just the Internet's guess. And so, Stipe doesn't always remember what they are. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the interesting thing. Part of his vocal delivery is, like, he he has a way of, of just sort of using his voice as, as an instrument. Yeah. That, that makes it... And, and that, this is another recurring theme, is something that I like is people that are able to, like are able to like say words that just sort of work with work with the music yeah um and he he does a great job this album he does a great job i think he's just supreme at that shit you know i I think like yeah his uh, his voice is just it works in the musical mix so well and i think he has this thing where like it's rare especially early on it's rare for one of his songs to just straightforwardly make you know literal narrative sense all the way through but he's great at putting together strings of like you know five to ten words that just sound great next to each other and convey a vibe and you know like like that line whatever it whatever he's actually fucking saying it it conveys a sense either way and it's kind of the similar sense either way and i just love it it's like it's like an abstract painting uh, you know, I, I guess it's in a way it's kind of like it's what Jeff Tweedy has come around to in the back half of his career. Um, but I think Stipe came to it more naturally. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to make sense like linearly. Yeah. Um, but it, it does. I mean, he does do a great job. I think of just sort of modulating his voice with the song. Yeah. And and sort of putting the emphasis in different places. So, yeah. So sometimes you have no idea what he's actually saying. Right, like it's yeah. it's just a, it's kind of a wild wild ride. Yeah, and you'll you'll pick out snatches here and there, and like okay, I guess that's that's the song. Um, I love uh, about two and a half minutes through. There's the bridge, and then like, they kind of step back, and let this like wall of feedback come in, and then they come back in. And it just it sounds like oh we are getting fucking serious now. Yeah, um, it just it, oh, it's great. The, this, the whole song, like this is, I think this is the thing that oh, this oh, is the boy. thing that Don Gaiman brought that they wouldn't have been doing before is that you know there are the kind of like you were talking about there are like these layered guitar parts, um, you know that had they would have had to have been overdubbed, um, but you know it kicks in with that riff and then like in one channel you've got the like dun 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 dun, dun 
but there's like this feedback layer just kind of fogging over it and it just like oh fuck it's so nicely put together yeah when it's when those things are blended well they're really good and you know i talked about workbook like yeah. that like bob mold album was modulate or something yeah. like that yeah. where they're not where it's not blended <laughs> well yeah is you know there's production and then there's hubris <laughs> There's a fine line between the two. There's just like, he's like, I want to make a techno album. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Sure. Do, do, it. do it, Bob. So one last thing about the song, I think, like this, this means nothing, but it just kind of it struck me as funny. The title is a, a travesty of a Cole Porter song called "Begin the Begin," and I don't think that has, you know, I, I don't think anything in this song actually like refers back to that. Uh, you know, other than just like, haha, it's a funny way to do the title. But Cole Porter was famously born in Indiana and got the hell out as fast as possible. So, you know, maybe that's some kind of like, hey, here we are. Yeah, as people do in Indiana. <laughs> yeah. It's, Indiana, one of the great states to get out of. <laughs> Ask Michael Jackson how that works. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm from one of the other great states to get out of. So. Uh, uh, anything else on beginning no, again? No, no. Right. Well, these days. I mean, I think this is another, like, I, I, I like the, like, I don't know if it's anger or desperation in his vocal delivery, yeah. but it really, it really hits. Like, yeah. it's, uh, it's a, it's another great song. Um, you know, I guess I didn't realize that he had that, that wide of a vocal range. Yeah, motherfucker really has range. I'm used to just hearing him, like, you know, just you know, bitch about something, so. <laughs> you just, everybody hurts really got to you. Oh, song drives me crazy. Okay, but, but within the R.E.M. world, like, that song was noteworthy because that was, like, the rare time when it's like, oh, Stipe is just singing straightforwardly about emotions and there's nothing cryptic here and, you know, like, like he's dropped the armor for a second, and yeah, I'd recommend I'd recommend putting the armor back on. <laughs> like, for, you know, there's there's the phrase opening the kimono. Yeah, not always a good thing. Uh, you know, he he had gotten stuffy in there, and he he needed out. Uh, these days, though, um, fuck. So it was you know in the day it was unprecedented for an REM record to kick off with two songs that go this hard. Okay. And I was like, oh, fuck. I, so this is another one. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've had this wrong, but since junior high, I have always interpreted the first line as, I'm not beating off, you are. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's correct. I think it might be, though. I mean, like, here's the... Well, I guess there's no, there's no, like, you know, nobody knows what the... Yeah. I've listened to some live versions, and it, it remains ambiguous all the way. It could be feeding. Let's but, let's see what uh, let's see what the internet consensus I is. The, I think the cowardly internet goes with feeding. Uh, yeah, it says I'm not now. I'm not feeding off you. I will rearrange your scales. Uh, I'm not beating off. You are. I will rearrange your scales. I'm. I, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I, I mean, who knows? Who knows? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense either way. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. It's my nonsense, not your <laughs> nonsense. Um, this is a an album or a song that has 
This is the first, like, really, really nice Mike Mills background vocals on this. Like, you know how everyone says about Van Halen that Michael Anthony was, like, you know, he was the secret of Van Halen, his background vocals. Mike Mills, like, his background vocal ability is fucking nuts. I've never heard anyone say Michael Anthony was the... No, that no. was that was like the conventional wisdom on on Van Halen. Back. <laughs> that's that's amazing. I, I think really, I think it was people trying to be nice to Michael, <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless. I guess I guess I always thought Michael Michael Anthony was like the most expendable member but of Van Halen. You know, history history proved you right. <laughs> I heard that claim made. Um, it's, I mean, maybe maybe he was the, you know, like behind the scenes. He was the, the glue guy. He was the one that kept, you know, David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen from murdering each other. Uh, uh. It's a more defensible claim with Mike Mills. Like, yeah. Like, like his, I actually think he was kind of low-key, like the musical director of R.E.M. Like, you know, Buck was fucking awesome, but only kind of, like, he knew how to play guitar, but he was like, you know... Any guitar center would have had, you know, five guys in it that, that know more. But, like, Mills is just this really fucking serious musician. And I think a lot of the arrangements, you know, were out of his head. Yeah. No, and, and I think he he does a... Like, the, these, the first two songs are really... Are just really, like... It's sort of like two rockers to yeah. start the... To start the party. Yeah. And, like, that just, I, I just... That's, that's a great statement, you know? Like, we're not just the... We're not just the the wispy ethereal, you know, Django boys. We're here to rock. That's right. Kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I I think with so this is another one where like Mills's bass line is doing way more than the guitar in this one, and I think with this band a lot of times it's like Mills and Barry are kind of like driving the music, and then Buck and Stipe are just kind of floating on top of it, and like that's. You know that, that's 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 unusual for an '80s rock band. Yeah, sometimes you do get kind of a police vibe with the with the bass and the yeah, drums. Yeah, you know that was the IRS house style. <laughs> um, yeah, no, like this is you know like I I can't say that this is like the most profound song ever, but it fucking rocks. No, it's a good it's song. Yes. Yeah, um, anything else on it? No. I think you're going to be disappointed in my my take on Fall on Me. What's your take on it? You're against? No, I, honestly, I think it could be a Beatles song. Like I can see that. It's got that like craftsmanship and harmonizing that yeah. that kind of has a you know has that it has that sort of flavor to it for I, me. I can absolutely see that. I don't hate the Beatles. I just I'm tired of the cult of the Beatles. <laughs> but you know, like I can recognize that like. They did good stuff, and you know the craftsmanship, like their thing. And I can see where you're coming from here. The thing that strikes me strikes me about this: we've talked about this a bunch of other times on this show about sequencing. How like you can have two rockers, but then the third one's always got to yeah, got to take, you gotta take a off. break. Got to take a break. Yeah, right here, they're following our advice, following our formula. It's not that this one is like a letdown. It's actually I think it's a great song, but it's just it's like lower tempo, lower intensity. Yeah, it's a good like it's a throttle down a little bit yeah. before you, you know, you can't. You, every song can't be you know like the first two songs on Copper Blue, right? Yeah, you would someone would die, right? Yeah, you, 
That's the whole point of heavy metal. It's just to like go there and live in that territory. Yeah, where like, everything rocks like that hard. Live on the live on the extreme. Yeah. I, I don't think that's good for anybody. Yeah, you know, it's you get the jitters by the time you turn thirty. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so the, this is another. The, I love this song. Um, this is another one where like I couldn't tell you literally what's going on line by line, but. You know, Stipe is creating a vibe again, and it, it comes a little closer into focus here. You, know, you you can tell that he's talking about pollution. He's saying, like, buy the, si- buy the sky and sell the sky. Um, you know, I just, I, I like that it's like this, it's a veiled shot at capitalism, but it's only veiled because everything they did was veiled. You know, like, it, it's pretty direct by their standards. Yeah, and I mean it probably probably somewhat of a like topical for the time. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I, yeah, this and and Cuyahoga, that we'll get to. Like this was really like REM was probably one of my early entrees just into like giving a shit about the environment. Um, it's an interesting thing to think about. Like that was, you know, now like every everyone under. 20 that I talk to now is just like scared shitless about climate change and in the late 80s like that was kind of you had to really be paying attention to it wasn't Star Trek 4? Uh, I mean around the same time and part of the same package yeah. and, and Star Trek 4 fucking rules by the way um, but no I just I'm kind of fascinated like if you want to go to if you want to put I, I'm a Star Trek 2 man that's the best of them. You, yes. If you want to argue that Star Trek Four is better, I'm prepared to no, have that. I, I, I'm not. I, that, that that's that's a madman's case. But but I am ready to say Four is is Two is the only one that's better than Four. Is is what I will say, and I'll yet. Stand. <laughs> I think that's gonna stand. Uh, uh, no, but so what I was gonna say, like like there was. It's weird to me, like you know, we lived through the '80s. We remember the '80s, and like the, the the cultural notion of the '80s that exists now is not. It's like chunks of what we lived, but it's not all of it. Um, you know, and there's stuff that was going on that was forgotten, and just like a lot of the vibe. I don't know. It, it's weird to me. It's weird to me to have grown up in a time when, like, you know, fucking. Top Gun and Life's Rich Pageant were both like yeah. cultural presences that I was trying to pay attention to at the same time. Like that's, that's yeah, I mean not just Top Gun, Iron Eagle, yeah. like Red Dawn, like the the Cold War was a very strange time. Yeah, I, you know, just I just think about how weird, fucking weird the eighties were. You've got this like arch capital, you know, like that's like the whole. The era when people were seeing that Oliver Stone Wall Street movie and like not getting it and you know thinking like yeah greed is good that's what that movie's saying um, you know you've got like all of that just dog shit I don't know just every time I come across like real actual genuine culture from the eighties even though like I was there I'm still like wow yeah that's right there were there were good things. In the eighties, yeah, it was just—I mean, it was different. Like the dissemination of information was different. Yeah, like, it just wasn't—it wasn't, you know, instantaneous like it is now. Yeah, yeah, it's you know the arguably the anchors on CBS, NBC, you know, and ABC were were the most powerful like information deliverers in the country. Just so fucked up. It's weird. Yeah, it's really fucking weird. Oh. 
I don't know. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's different. Yeah. Anything else on following me? No, I'm I'm excited to to talk about Cuyahoga. You know, going right into the the other half of the the environmental. Right, the the environmental environmental twosome. Yeah, usually I would think it would be a weird choice to put your low temple environmental numbers back to back, but it works. Uh, my note says, "Who invited late career Jay Ferrar to the chat?" Oh, this is well, yeah. There's a lot. I was gonna say this is more direct, but it's not. It's, I guess, Ferrar kind of operates in a very similar vein to Stipe. Of, yeah. You know, like I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. God damned if I'm gonna say what I'm really thinking. Uh, yeah. No, it's just that. That was the vibe that I got. Yeah, I can see that. And I mean. You know, I believe the Cuyahoga River did start on fire yeah. at least once, maybe yeah. twice. Yeah. So I, I think it was multiple times. I it, think it was. It's a, uh, you know, it, it is, it is a strange aesthetical choice to put your two, you know, like your, your two environmental bummer songs back to back. I guess they wanted to make sure that it got yeah, through. Yeah. Get the. It's a weird one. I think the song is, you know, I, I try not to trot this word out too often, but this song is beautiful. Like it just, it is aesthetically like I just, I, I love the sounds and the way it comes together. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, I don't know if this is intentional or not. Um, some lyrics that I think I have right, you know, putting putting usual asterisk there. Um, you know, it starts out Stipe saying, let's put our heads together and start a new country up. Our fathers, fathers, fathers tried to erase the parts they didn't like. So, you know, he's talking about the founding of America. You know, we come, come and start a new country and get rid of the parts we don't like. Um, kind of. I mean, really, they just they just reshuffled the deck and uh, changed the structure of power. But uh, Well, no, I, I mean, like, settlers coming and, like, like killing off 95%. Got it, of, yes, yeah. Um, but uh, what I think is interesting, you know, with, with this song, like, foregrounding that, is back in Begin the Begin, there's all these call-outs to Miles Standish Proud, and, like, Miles Standish was one of the prominent English colonists, and, like, I don't know if that's, like, you know, if there's like some kind of intentional theme to the songs connecting them there. Or I mean, I do, I do think it's connected, right? It's sort of a, it's kind of the, it's that attitude that sort of drove a lot of those decisions that, yeah. that you know, like, by God, we're going to take this shit. We don't care what happens to yeah. anybody. Yeah, do that long enough and first, first you kill off the indigenous population and then eventually you're lighting rivers on fire because they're so fucking polluted. Yep, it's fuck around and find out. <laughs> now we're living in the find out phase. Yay. Um, this song, you know, this this song is mostly Stipe and Barry, um, except for like Mills has the, uh, you know, has some background vocals and then that like bass riff that opens it up. Buck's not doing... I mean, he's, he's playing, but he's not doing... You know, for a guitar band, there are a lot of songs where there's just kind of a little filigree guitar line off to the side. I think that's really yeah, interesting. I think, I think that when you have, like, when you have a vocalist who, who, who has that much range and ability, then yeah. sometimes it's best just to not overlay it with, yeah. you know, with wall of guitar. Yeah, exactly. Just, like, give... Give him the space he needs, and he'll, he'll fill it out. It's the opposite of Dinosaur Jr. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, if they swapped out Buck for Jay Maskus, uh, well, you'd have Monster, except him. 
<laughs> yeah, there was some differences. Um, no, you know, I, realizing this too, I'm, I'm really recognizing how much of my guitar technique comes from like listening to this when I was forming my musical brain and just like absorbing Peter Buck as like, well, this is how well you're supposed to play guitar. Like a lot of the shit that I find myself doing now is stuff that I hear him doing and. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, that's fine. That's great. No, it's, uh, I just, uh, you know, like I, I had kind of settled in for this rock album and, yeah. and then, you know, I, I felt like we were going down this path of, okay, fall on me. It's going to be a kind of a, and then we're going to get right back on it, but we kind of go lower yet. Yep. Yep. Luckily for you, there's a hyena right around the corner. If, if ever there was a person born to say the word hyena, <laughs> it's Michael Stipe. <laughs> this one, I have no idea what the fuck he's. You know, like I don't know what this is about at all. But it's 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 just fun that they it's fun that they rev the machine back up. His, uh, I just I love the way he says the word hyena. Yeah. Like, I, I, it, it, like that's enough for me to make it a song. <laughs> like. I love the uh, I love the weird animal noises that they yeah. open it up with. That's you know, I it's always on in my mind like weird animal noises are a Joe Strummer thing. Um, <laughs> so it's nice nice someone else doing it. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of lines in this that like, you know, again like I, I can't tell you what the the total is, but I just I love the way he says the town is safe again tonight for some reason. Yeah, it's like reading like a portrait of the artist as a young man. Like yeah. I, it's like I have no idea what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, the bit about the only thing we have to fear is fearlessness. I think is I think that's a cool line on its own. Cool like travesty of FDR. Yeah. And then he follows it with the bigger the weapon, the greater the fear. Just this being the eighties, I assume that's some kind of nuclear sentiment but who knows who knows I, yeah I mean I'm more of a thank god for the bomb Ozzy Osbourne man <laughs> we knew that cause that like I you know like I don't like subtlety at well, all I one <laughs> you know th- that time I saw you take your shirt off and saw the crazy train tattooed on your chest in gothic script I just I figured like Ozzy Ozzy fan I feel like time's gonna prove me right on that one <laughs> Crazy Dreams, great song. <laughs> so, uh, Buck's like, one of the guitar tracks in this is Buck playing a twelve string that I think sounds like super yeah. birdsy. It's uh, you don't know. It doesn't seem like twelve string is not something you really associate with the eighties. Yeah. Like you know, it was, and it's kind of cool to know that that that's one of the cool things I think about this record is it it sort of sounds. Timeless, yeah. If you take the lyrics out of it, maybe, but but even then, like they're all, they're so obscure a lot of the time that like uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. You could project meaning from any era onto most of them. Uh, um, you want to take a? Well, I guess do you have anything else on hyena? I don't. I don't. Should we? Should we do? Underneath the bunker, and then take a break. Sounds good. That's the end but, of the dinner side. I, I was foolish and didn't didn't mark down my sides. Um, underneath the bunker. That's just a weird. Like I like this. It's but weird shit, man. It's, it's you know, this is like minor to the point of being silly, but it's just it's kind of fun. I had I I thought I got like Dick Dale meets Gogol Bordello. I I could see that. I mean, to me, like 
So there's this thing where, like with REM, you never knew who, you never know who wrote anything because they they always credit the band to the band, which is really cool, and I think is probably part of why they stuck together so long. But to me, this particular thing, just the way the way it is, this this feels like it has to have been Buck just fucking around with a guitar and then like you know the silly riff grew into a song yeah it's a wild thing like the lyrics sound like he's like underwater singing into a megaphone it's I can't I honestly can't decide if I like it or not like I really like the music like I think it would be better as an instrumental yeah I can see that like cause it's got such a weird yeah like Barry's playing the bongos yeah yeah, it's like it's just it's like a total like palate cleanser yeah yeah that's totally the the function it serves. I have this really weird, very specific memory with this song where uh, in like the winter where I, the first winter where I had my driver's license and I was driving this god-awful pickup truck. Um, you know, one night I was driving from Blair to the next town down, Fort Calhoun, with our friend Grant and uh, and my friend Matt and we were listening to Life's Rich on my bitchin' home-built multi-speaker tape deck setup. Um, and we, uh, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was like a January night. And we're on this, like, deserted highway in rural Nebraska. Um, and right when we got to this song, right when it was like, dur, 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 I just out of nowhere spun out. Like, you know, we hit a patch of ice and, like, spun out. And the three of us were, like, doing 360s just down the highway over and over and then like finally come to rest going you know pointing the wrong way in the other lane and a semi comes and like zips around and like you know we were all just like oh fuck we almost died like that's to me like I can't hear this song without like yeah. getting back in the cabin no, that's a uh, shitty truck that's that's a powerful memory that was weird shit yeah but, uh, that's when I learned put some sand in the back of the <laughs> It's a life lesson. Yeah. Uh, anything else? No, that's, that's really all, all I have on that one. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Sure. All right. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. I was more of a 2Jakes man. <laughs> I've never seen... I, like, I, I only know it by the reputation of being awful. It's pretty terrible. I even watched Chinatown... Because I watched it and I'm like, this doesn't, this makes no sense to me. Yeah. And I watched Chinatown and then I watched the two Jakes and still nothing. Apparently there was going to be a third. Oh, great. Just... Maybe that would clear up everything. Welcome back. We are back. You know, let's go from lighthearted banner about. Jack Nicholson movies of varying quality to uh, to a very not lighthearted song. Yeah. Flowers of Guatemala. That's uh You know, it's it's a really well executed song. It's just not my jam. Really? I um I I, I guess I it really connects with me. Like, I really think this is really you know, I, I think this one is again like it's beautiful and it's wrenching, um you know, just this is one where I feel like I have 
figured out more of the meaning than you know than than usual for REM songs and like. It's and not about flowers in Guatemala. It is about flowers in Guatemala, but they're they're all funeral wreaths because of all the people killed by political violence in Guatemala. That's that's a light one. Yeah, it's uh, well, the thing I was thinking about, like like part of the reason I wanted to lay all the groundwork about IRS records is, um, you know. I wonder what Miles Copeland II's son thought when the band he had signed, like, you know, came into the label and gave them the tapes for a song that's, you know, has a song like calling out political deaths in Guatemala when that's like a... His life's work? Yeah. Yeah. Oops. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I just, that, that, that circularity is, like, like, I don't think they were trying to be funny, but that circularity is interesting to me. Um, and I don't know. Just the, the, the musical execution on this is is great. I love that. Like, this is another one where there's like one guitar channel that's just kind of light arpeggiated pieces, and another one that's like feedback that's nicely controlled. You know, as we talk about this, like it makes sense that Neil Young would look at Don Gaiman and be like, Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is like I said, it's a really well executed, well crafted song. I just don't like it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I and I can't I can't give you like a good. I, you know, I... Maybe I'm Team CIA. <laughs> son Maybe. of a bitch. E. Howard Hunt. Ah. <laughs> what a fucking putz that guy was. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, oh. What, do you mean? what do you mean? You think he's dead? You believe that? <laughs> he's, he's in the big facility underneath. He and JFK Jr. Like, don't you read any of these QAnon blogs? <laughs> I'm gonna try and get that started. The e. e. Howard Hunt is still alive. I, I don't think it would take you much to get that going. <laughs> you could get traction with that for sure. <laughs> um, just a couple other musical things about the song that I, I wanted to rave about really quickly, and then we can leave it. But just I, I love what Bill Berry does here, where he like, he he's just playing accents like kind of off the beat most of the time until chorus kicks in and then he like goes into a full beat like that's really you know Bill Berry is another person who is like a great great fucking drummer and you know just I don't think he gets the respect he deserves yeah no he does not he definitely doesn't because I've never heard of him uh, and he's, he's he's Minnesota's own Bill Berry like, he, well, that surprises he's, he's, me because no one no one claims their own like Minnesota uh, right from Duluth they have, you know, they have Bob Dylan way up there. It should like curve into Bill Berry way. Well, since Bob Dylan spent as little time here as possible, <laughs> I feel like maybe they just yeah, just rename it. Yeah. Uh, the other musical thing, I just I have to throw this out that like this the song has the best guitar solo that Peter Buck ever did. Like it's just there's it's really simple. There's nothing to it. It's you know the best part of it is just three or four notes just but it, it, it's just oh it, it sits in its spot so nicely um you know I, I i don't normally say this but you're wrong about this song no, this, i'm not this wrong song is, <laughs> i don't know how i could be wrong about my opinion <laughs> about my opinion but um yeah you really had to work at it but you <laughs> just no. d- doesn't seem possible but fair enough fair enough um, I believe. Yeah, I believe. Enter the banjo. Oh, fuck yeah. That's you don't see a lot of banjo intros to a, like a really good rock song. Yeah, I was I, I was very confused by that banjo intro in the eighties. 
Um, no, yeah, fucking awesome. Yeah, I believe in coyotes and time as an abstract. I believe my throat hurts. It's like uh, it's like kind of Frank Black esque. Like, yeah. Like you're like, like I like all these words. I don't know what they mean when you put them together, but, <laughs> but they, they sound good next to each other, and you sound you sound right. good singing them. Right. I also really like the way he said he says I when he sings yeah, I. There's like, a lot of I. Yeah. And then Mills is buttressing him from behind. Yeah, it's phrasing. Phrasing. Um. Yeah, I, I really like the way he. I just it just is really it's really a cool trick. Like it yeah. really makes the song for me though. The it's, it, the song is just super fun. It's. So here is, I think this will probably lead into a digression, but I think it'll be a fun digression. Uh, you know, writing a check, I hope my ego can cash. Um, there's the line that repeats a couple times, I think, and then it this comes back again on document, where he keeps talking about what you want and what you need. Um, this is weird to me, but I've read it in multiple places, that that grew out of Stipe... Uh, having these conversations that he really valued with Henry Rollins. And Henry Rollins would, like, get in his face and, you know, like, lecture him about, like, you got to decide what you want and what you need because they're not the same thing, man. Um, it's, until I read that, I never expected that Henry Rollins would... Those are, those are two spheres you wouldn't think would intersect exactly. in, the Venn, in the Venn diagram. Um, I kind of love that they did. I think that's yeah. really fucking cool. And, and the thing that... There's kind of another like '80s memory here. Then, where like I remember at different points in high school talking to you know some hardcore kids who um, you know like as adults I think we would have musical tastes that lined up exactly. But like in high school, like the tiniest difference seems like yeah, as we're right. sitting. And so you know I remember talking to some kid who was really into Black Flag and uh, the Dead Kennedys, and you know and his his. But why though? <laughs> uh, I, I just I always remember him like his whole thing was shit talking REM and Husker Du um, and like, like his specific thing was well the way he said it was all really homophobic because it was the late 80s but you know it was it was basically like REM are you know a bunch of pussies um, and they're a bunch of pussies because they're just like Husker Du and uh, just like with the benefit of hindsight, like they're not not really. But yeah, I mean, like <laughs> there there are many layers that are wrong to all of this, this coming from the person who draws a, a stark distinction between the Dead Kennedys and Black Flag. Yeah, right? yeah. I, I don't know. I'd, so gun to your head, you've got to you've got to sit through an entire catalog of music. Are you going Black Flag or are you going Rollins Band? I mean, both are gonna suck. Yeah, I, I'm gonna go Black Flag because I, there there are a couple of Black Flag songs that I just that I straightforward like. Rollins Band, I don't I don't really know any. What's well, the evolution of Black Flag? Without you know without you know all the other guys. Yeah. <laughs> Suck out most of the people who were bringing something. And, <laughs> uh, you know, Rollins brought something, but uh, not. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think primarily image and you know just like intensity. Yeah, 
I just I, I kind of enjoy Henry Rollins as a presence. You know, like I, I like he's an interesting person. Yeah, yeah. but um, you know, like musically, not, we're not on the same page. No. What if it's Black Flag or uh, Dead Kennedys? Then I'm gonna go Dead Kennedys. There are. You know, if there are a handful of Black Flag songs that I like, there's there's a bigger handful of Dead Kennedy songs that I like. I think I would go Dead Kennedys too, just because yeah. the like, like the lyrics are kind of amusing. Yeah. Some of the Dead Kennedy songs. I have noticed that um, of the music they'll play on the current, so like the the hip station in Minneapolis, like of their range of songs that they find acceptable to put on the air, nothing will make my wife change the channel faster than the Dead Kennedys. Like, they are like, you know, they are the Rebecca Bain. I guess she doesn't want to go on a holiday in Cambodia. <laughs> she does not want to go on a holiday in Cambodia. I, I thought she was going to have an aneurysm <laughs> one time when California Uber Alice came <laughs> <laughs> Isn't there a dig at, uh, isn't there a dig at the, uh, the former governor of California? Yeah. In that uh, song? Pete Wilson... I don't. I don't remember. I, re, I remember. The only reason I know that is I, I remember that being explained to me like at some point in the early nineties. Um, yeah, I don't. So going back to the the guy, the the kid I was talking to in nineteen ninety or whatever. Like I just I love this sense that like the sense that REM were lame. Were, you know, not lame, but you know, some much worse. Substitute because they were like Husker do, like in that they were both speaking in English. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, they're both bands. Uh, I don't know. Kid musical tribalism, I guess, is, is yeah. Pretty, is my yeah. Point. It's. I mean, I'm sure they're. I'm sure I'm guilty of that as well. Mm-hmm. They just got to figure out the difference between what you want and what you need. I was thinking it was the intersection of like the Beastie Boys and the Rolling Stones. Like, so what you want and you can't always get. <laughs> That's a good. Uh, I guess you'd probably need some time travel to make the math work there. But. That, think about this: the Beastie Boys' entire career existed entirely within the Rolling Stones' career. I know, right? You know, like there was never a moment. There was never a moment when there were Beastie Boys when there were not Rolling Stones. Yeah, and there were like 25 years of Rolling Stones where there weren't these two. Yeah, it's it's fucked up. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Um, anything else on I Believe? No, except that it is a very good song. I, I really like this song. This is the type of R.E.M. that I can get behind. Right on. I'm, I'm totally here for this as well. Uh, what if we give it away? Yeah, not the type of REM that I'm here for. So, it, given the lines that you have staked out, um, that uh, the first note I've got here is to me, this sounds like the out of time era REM, like making an early appearance. It does. It does. It, it's you know I'm not often coming down on the side of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but. What? I would rather listen to their their give it away song oh, than Jesus this one. Oh Jesus Christ! Yeah, you, you need to pull your pants up. Your ass is short. <laughs> <laughs> How is it that last time around you weren't you know talking about Bob Marley, the poet and the prophet? I I just this is not it's just not for me it's it's inessential. This is definitely like <laughs> it's like I don't know how you go from I believe to. I, I just, it, it's like, 
this is a momentum killer. It's like somebody should have just been like, guys, you're killing the vibe here. Yeah. I yeah I I never I've ne- this when I when I went from listening to this album on tape to listening to it on CD, the big game there was the ability to the skip, skip the song. Yeah. yeah. And this is the only skipper on it, I think. Um, I don't know, you know. I mean, there aren't that many. There are, honestly, there aren't that many that I would skip. Um, you know, you know. I think I, it just seems it seems a little like like filler to me. Yeah, it, it really. You know, who knows what was really going on? Maybe they're like, oh God, we love this new sound we've cooked, but. In it, in the aftermath, it really feels like they were like, "Well, we we need one more to just like fill out the the supper side." Yeah, it's just it's so weird because then you go with after that you have three kind of three really good songs yeah. to close it out, which is it's just a it's a weird approach. It, it, it's the Ronald Reagan theory of um, how you do a show: you start big, then you coast, <laughs> and then you have a big finish. You know, this is the this is their Reagan showing. Yeah, I yeah you. That mean maybe that's why you like it so much. <laughs> Clearly, um, ask the dead Kennedys what they think about Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Not fans. <laughs> Not fans. Uh, just a touch. Yeah, I, I I like it. I feel it's, like I feel like it's a mix of rock, new wave, maybe like ska. I, yeah, it's fucking unhinged. I think this is like, it's not a punk song, but this is this is like the the most punk energy I think they ever had. If you like rocked, really rocked up like a special song, I think this is what it would sound like. That's a yeah, I think you're right. That's a good that's a good choice or good good observation. This thing is just this song is fucking insane. Yeah, <laughs> like there's 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 parts where like Snipe just gives up. You know, he's not even singing words. Just and it sounds great. It's it's like Hootenanny. It just <laughs> it just comes together. Yeah, there's this fucking deranged piano part going on. Right. Yeah. Like the, the big like keyboard. You know, like they roll it down the keyboard. Yeah. Right. I think that's Mills. I, I the the internet claims that at one point Stipe's quoting Patti Smith in there, and I do think he was a really big Patti Smith fan. So yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me. It makes a lot of sense. I guess I can get on board with the horse, Patty Smith Horses album. Yeah, it's a pretty good album. After yeah. that, I, I don't know that I've heard the. Yeah, she like I'm kind of the same. Where like, I know that album, and then I know like some individual songs afterwards that I like a lot, but never been like, yeah, I'm I'm doing the Patty Smith journey. There was that. Uh, there was that like. Uh, Live track on No Alternative where that where that guy gets Mike on. We love you, Patty. <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah. You know, so as much as we've talked about how No Alternative was in every dorm room, um, I have no memory of listening to that thing straight through. Uh, you know, to me, like that was the ultimate like skipping to the. You know, skipping to the songs by people I knew. Or... I think that's. Uh... I mean, I think I—I don't know. I've—I've I've complicated thoughts about it. I, yeah. you know, I, I do think it was a good gateway for a lot of different music that I like now that yeah. I didn't know that I liked. Like, yeah, you know, like that was the first time I heard of Pavement. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, there's there are a lot of artists that I really like that are on there. 
It just is. Uh, I mean, it's not something I like. I've never. I haven't listened to it in probably twenty five years. This is a stupid question. Oh wait, never mind. I. There was another compilation from around then that was like all either Bird's songs or Graham Parsons songs that um, had Mold doing Hickory Wind. And for a second, I thought that that was on No Alternative. But yeah, he on, does have a song on No Alternative. But it's that like super bummer one. Yeah, it's, a, it's, one of, it's <laughs> like his anger, one of his angry ballads. <laughs> yeah. I yeah some friends of mine um, ran some friends of mine run a tournament about of music writing every um, every March and it's always March somethingness and the first year they did it was March sadness and you know they were trying to find the you know they knew that they needed a Bob Mould song because he wrote some you know very sad songs and that is it can't fight it it's yeah. called I, I remember that was their choice like for like this is the saddest song we can there's a lot of I don't know how you would pick that like yeah it's like finding the deepest spot in the ocean like there are a lot of them <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah but you know bob mold just isn't isn't cool like the dead kennedys <laughs> <laughs> well, you know like i mean i don't want to shit on the dead kennedys i actually i respect the dead kennedys but i'm still i don't know if i respect i, I like jello biafria he seems like an interesting dude yeah he might, he'd be intense to... I don't know if I could name another dead Kennedy, honestly. I, I couldn't. Yeah. But, um, not doing too well with... You know, like, you've done something wrong with your band if... You can only name... You know, if people who are receptive to the music can only name the lead singer, like... Eh. Yeah, if the lead singer's name is Jello. True. <laughs> That's kind of overshadowed. Like, it's a pretty rad name. Yeah. Um... Anything else on just a touch? I no, mean, I, I like. I, I think it's uh, it's really interesting. Like it's a. I uh, I really like it. We can move into the what noisy cats are we? Oh fuck! So this is talking about like Stipe being good at putting just strings of words together that don't make sense but convey a vibe. I think this is. Yeah, I mean, this is so. I wrote this is like my kind of Michael Stipe ballad because you have his voice. And then you have mixed in that acoustic guitar in the yeah. background that's really like, like just this, it, it just feel you can like it just works so well together. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's great. There's you know like Mills has the like boom 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 going on through it that like gives a, a great anchor. It's just I, I don't know what the song's about, but like I can kind of picture this weird narrative in my head that you know I'm sure is nothing like what he has the bit where he's just like hey tell that to the captain's mother yeah it's like what what is that that's great it's like that Pink Floyd song Lucifer Sam I don't know that one where where, is that like early yeah very early where it's just like it's just like wild like (laughs) you know be a hip cat be a ship's cat you know like (laughs) nice Uh, I'm I, I don't know hardly any um what the fuck's that dude's name? The the early lead singer who like Sid Barrett? Yeah, I don't know any Barrett era Floyd. I'm I'm a Waters era man. You have you heard the uh the Sid Barrett song Octopus? You might be kinda of into that. I don't know that I have. I'll check it out. Uh-huh. Is it Sid Barrett solo or it is, is it yeah. okay? I'll check it out. Um with this, like I you know, I also this is another one where like there's a line that I've been mishearing, but I just like my version of it better. 
I always thought he was saying Johnny Reb, what's the price of fame? And I guess it's what's the price of fans. I think I like the fame better. I mean, I think yeah. That... I mean, in a song like this, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it's not like you're missing. You know, it's not like, you know, like you're. I don't know. You're not going to have some continuity nerd pop out and be like, oh, no, but in movie three, Johnny Reb was buying some fans. And Yeah, I mean, it's not like a David Foster Wallace novel where, you know, like the story's in the footnotes. And, yeah. You know, like, this is sort of, you know, this is a little more freewheeling. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's so good. I remember, you know, in I don't remember if it was late high school or early college, but like in the phase in the cultural era where like REM wasn't quite huge yet, and so you could like identify you know it was it, it was like if if you saw if someone had like REM shit on in public, you were kind of identifying a fellow weirdo you know like I mean not super underground, but I just remember seeing like this person wearing a button that said the whiskey is water the water is wine and I'm like yeah you're one of my people yeah that and like somebody with a fishbone t-shirt on <laughs> uh, you know um, Rebecca has a fishbone t-shirt from that era really so she does yeah it's a, a treasured artifact nice so yeah I <sighs> digression but I asked the internet the other day this is this grew out of us talking about Exodus and like Jamaican music taking root in my mind. I asked the internet for um, suggestions for like where I should go, like if I really was gonna grapple with ska, like you know yeah. What? Um, and I got like a ton of ton of really good suggestions. I'm like I'm still kind of digging through that, but like was one of them madness? Uh, yes, but no one <laughs> no one made the Clonto claim. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> what would have been perfect? Like, there's no way this would have happened. But what would have, what would have been perfect would have been to have John Worcester <laughs> say, "Like, you need to try that." If I had saw that post, I would have definitely <laughs> said that. <laughs> Just madness. They invented Scott. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, no, but so the, the reason I brought it up, just one person was like, Fishbone. And like, I get, never thought of that. Yeah. But I, sure, yeah, Fishbone. Yeah. Fishbone's a pretty interesting band. I've never, uh, I've just, I always liked their logo. Yeah. Like, that was, that's all I know. That's the sum total of my Fishbone knowledge. Yeah, pretty, yeah, I've heard some songs and like enjoyed them, but never dug in. But like, I've always kind of enjoyed them as a presence. I don't know. No point to any of that. Just, yeah. Um, Superman. Yeah, I didn't even know. I didn't know this was a cover until I started this. Yeah. It's. So, I listened to the original, and this is much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. Like. This is just fucking apex. Like I. I, I don't know how you can rock harder than this. I feel like though, if if you had a if somebody asked you like, what is jangle pop? Yeah. Like, you could just point them to this song. Yeah. Like, this, is, this is what it is. Yeah. This fucking rule is so hard. Ah. Oh. Ah. Oh. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I, got, I just, I, like, fuck. I, I, I kind of quietly believe that if he had wanted to, Mike Mills could have gone off and just, like, had his own well-respected band. And, like, like, this song is part of that argument that, like, like, 
fuck, the way he sings it is great. Um, you know, he's fucking carrying it, and you know, and then like if you've got Stipe coming in to do backups for him, like that's yeah, you know, like, like you know, you've got a Hall of Famer coming off the bench there, and that fuck, this is so good. Yeah, I the original is like psychedelic, and yeah. I don't know, man. That's this is a much better. <laughs> much better song. I wish I still had the book. I used to have a book about R.E.M. that was written by the same guy that wrote that Clash book that I never shut up, shut up about, Marcus Gray. And there was something in there about, like, the difficulty they had finding the people in the clique to, um, you know, to, like, give them royalties to. Yeah. Um, and... I don't remember the details, but I guess it was a it was a struggle to like you know locate them. Yeah, because they were you know it was so underground or yeah. you know so forgotten that like it took a while. But uh, I guess they ended up getting a fuckload of money. For nice, it. Well, that's good. And, yeah, yeah. This fucking a. This is uh, so good. This is um, even better than the Flaming Lips song about Superman. And I, yeah, I don't know if I would go that song. far. I, I like the Flaming Lips one better. But. Flaming Lips one is quite good, but this is. We're going to have to agree to disagree. Fair enough. I remember in 1987-88, I thought, um, you don't really love that guy you make it with now, do you? You know, that sounded like that was just describing the saddest situation in the world. Um, I, you know, I, I don't really think that now. So the like the songs about the environment deteriorating, <laughs> exactly. like that doesn't resonate no, with that, you. That's, but... that's table stakes, but oh my God, this... <laughs> This woman is making it with a guy she doesn't love. <laughs> now does she? Perhaps it's your religious upbringing. Uh, probably. Offends your senses. Yeah. That's... I would uh, point you to the song Losing My Religion. <laughs> you, you know, okay, again, I understand not liking that song. I like it. It. It is part of it that, like, that was... Out of Time did come out, like around when I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this Catholicism shit. And that probably was like... Probably was a small... You know, like... like It at least helped to hear like... You know, if Michael Stipe is talking about this, it must be... Yeah, I mean, I... Take solace where you can find yeah, it. Yeah, you know, when... when yeah, Getting out of the clutches of the Catholic Church is kind of like trying to get out of the mafia. So you know, like like any any help that you can get, you're gonna, you welcome on that journey. Um, yeah, still waiting for a bishop to show up and break my kneecaps. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you're on the list. It's just a really long list. <laughs> yes. Oh, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the noise. Apparently, the noise at the start of Superman <laughs> is from. Um, is from the original Godzilla movie. I I would not have known. I, I didn't know that until yesterday. I know that scared the shit out of me the first time I listened to this it, record yeah. alone. I was like, okay. I wonder how they got. Maybe it was before. Is it the like Paul's Boutique thing where like they didn't have to pay like licensing fees yep. on the on samples? Yeah. Back in the golden age, just grabbing what you wanted to grab. But uh, yeah. I don't know how you can't copyright no beats. <laughs> oh, the immortal words of Flavor Flav. 
that song, as much as I love Public Enemy, like, I don't like that that song makes me want to be like, look, Flame. <laughs> Come on. Well, it's Chuck D, too. He says this I, is a sampling sport. I know. I... <sighs> you know, that, that, that was 14 episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> we've covered that ground. Yes, we've. Uh, well, so anything else on Superman? No, not for I me. I mean, I... Um, I guess so. Then, uh, favorite song on on the record? I don't know what my favorite song is. I like you know there are a number of songs I really like. I think my favorite song. I'm gonna go with "I Believe" as my favorite that's, song. That's a very very solid choice. That would that 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 would be on my short list. What's yours? I, I well, I guess I I go with "Begin the Begin" just because like. You know, a third of the album is on my short list, I guess. But begin to begin, like you get the adrenaline buzz of like, hey, we're going for the ride again. All right. Are you sure it's not uh, Menachem Begin, the Begin? <laughs> Could be. Hmm? I, I feel like the time's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or you know, maybe that's. One of it. Maybe it's either begin the Begin or Begin the Begin. Yeah, it could be. Uh, We'll never know. Um, verdict on the album. It's a really good album. It's a, it's more it, so. As I think I had said earlier, like if as people were trying to sell me on REM, like I don't know why no one pointed me in the direction of this album, but I am. I'm glad you dug it. I was worried that I, you know, like I said earlier, like I, I was worried that I'd put you through something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, I think dropping. it's. I, I think it's just like there's just like a mental block with me, like, uh, like I'm never gonna like <laughs> some of these ballads, like. Yeah. That's, that's legit. It just is. It's just not my. It's not my jam. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and oh, I guess my verdict. Uh, yeah, this is this he is hated it. Yeah, fuck this thing. <laughs> uh, this is the best album by what I think. Might be the best American band, um, them or or Low or CCR or Joverkill. Joverkill, <laughs> yes. There's that rock critic Jim Derogatis who, like, I was really into for a while until I until I started until I discovered his writing about Urge Overkill. <laughs> and I was just like, you fucking maniac! <laughs> like that just. Poisoned him for you know like I, I guess he did I guess he like did some heroic stuff and like exposing R Kelly you know so like I I can't like be too negative on the guy but fucking urge over kill booster I don't know yeah so even even though they're not American I still think the Rolling Stones are the are the great American rock man uh, you know I, I I see where you're coming from um, doing that giving them that title does then like. It makes it easier to say, okay, well, then the best English band is The Clash. Um, maybe we should do it, yeah. Maybe sometime we should do just, like, the Arbitrary Judgments show. Yeah. <laughs> we just, like, declare, you know, just come up with a list of best this, best that. Um, but instead of uh, instead of doing that, next time we're going to talk about an album. We are, and I have the actual LP right here. This is not a, there's no video, so you can't see this, but... <laughs> The cover of this album is great. It's uh, there's some interesting fashion choices. So let me just read the full the full title. It says 
Kama Sutra Records presents <laughs> the Flamin' Groovies in Teenage Head. I am, like I was saying offline, I am really excited here. I, I've known about these guys for a while. I, I know exactly one song. I was always put off by their name, but that one song really fucking rules. It's, uh, yeah. The, the album cover is wild. Like, <laughs> There's a dude who looks like if Tom Petty had joined television. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's exactly what it looks like. Uh, that's there's a, a dude in a jumpsuit. Yeah, whose pants are like way too tight. Yeah. Oh, he he dresses right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Um. Okay. Yeah. So next time, Flaming Groovies. What's the name of the record? Teenage Head. Teenage Head. Um, come for that. Um, in the meantime, thanks for listening. Um, I am Keith Pilly. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook, and you can find me at Cook6252. And as always, we would love to hear from you if there's anything uh, you like or didn't like. I think, you know, everyone has strong feelings about REM, and hopefully they are on my side. Um, I mean, we're not really opposed on, on much here. Uh, not still, on this album. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, uh, if you have opinions... Um, let, let them rip. I did, like I mentioned earlier, I have a um, have kind of a companion piece for the newsletter written. I think it will go out before this episode posts, but it'll still be available online, you know, similar to a blog. Just Google Pilly's Boutique and you can find it. And you should sign up for the newsletter. Yeah, and for a point-by-point -point refutation of that... <laughs> No, I'm just <laughs> uh, I don't know what. what uh, I don't know what. Uh, can't think of any good album titles that are like near Cook. Yeah, it's. Um, but there has to be one. I'm sure there is somewhere. Uh, just didn't have it ready to fire off. Uh, if you dug the show, please tell people about it. Um, or you know, it's always great if you go to iTunes and rate us or leave a review. The algorithms really look for that, and then. They tell people to listen, and sometimes we wind up on charts, especially for Canada. That's right. Very big in Canada. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, thanks, and talk to you again soon as we dig into Teenage Head. Adios. Adios.